I can't breathe. Three simple words, sounds to be heard. For much of the spring, these words would bring help and hope. As a virus spread, these words were a cry as some felt that they might die. I can't breathe. A cry, a cry for help, a desperate gasp for someone, anyone to come close and care. A cry for relief. And now these words, they mean so much more. I can't breathe. A cry, a cry for help, a desperate gasp for someone, anyone to come close and care. Though now, it's not a virus affecting the lungs. As the world fights a virus that can be seen in a lab, another virus more insidious makes a demand. Quarantined and distanced for far too long from the realities of oppression, injustice, and beyond. This virus, even more dangerous, threatens life, joy, and peace. I can't breathe. What's the cure for these three simple words? Just one syllable is all that it takes. All it takes to make the chains of hardship break. One simple word. Love. Not a love defined by the human mind. No, this love is explained and explored and revealed by the maker in whom you are adored. The maker of love himself. It is in his love that we find, determined and defined, life-giving air to stop the suffocation of injustice and oppression of every man everywhere. This doesn't start with me. But rather, He, He who spun the earth into being, He in whom we are fearfully and wonderfully made, it starts with Him. When I know that my God loves me, that He gave His Son to die for me, then His love compels me and creates new life and love inside of me. As I'm made new, new breath in my lungs it leads me to grab the oxygen and give it to another everywhere, every other. As he gives new life to me and through me, we discover something new. Desperate cries and generational lies begin to cease. And together, we can breathe. May this truth shine like a light in the darkest of night, so that all can breathe. Over the last week, I've been overwhelmed almost the last two weeks trying to figure out my, my, my place in, in, in what's happening. There are moments I have been overwhelmed. There, there are questions that I'm asking. You know, like you, I, I read 
articles and I listen to stories and I watch videos and I see tweets and Insta stories and a host of other content. And sometimes I wonder with all the opinions and, 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 and all the, 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 the words, they, they, they conflict. And I have found such joy and relief in going back to the truth that is above all other truth. The truth that is God's word, timeless, relevant, poignant, powerful, inspiring, God's words of truth. And they, like an anchor, hold me fast. Teach my soul and lead me and guide me. I hope you're asking questions. I hope you're trying to discover your place and your role, whether you need to lean in and to listen or to speak out. But may we, in the midst of all the things raging, may we be guided by his truth. Because there is such simple truth in the middle of such complexity that can guide us and help us, all of us, find our way. And so for the next several minutes, I just want to journey through Luke chapter 10, verses 26 through 37, to help us find our way so that we all can breathe. To find our way, that, that these truths would guide us like a light in the darkest of night. Luke chapter 10, let's start with the first few verses, verses 25 through um, 28. Here's how it begins. Jesus says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said back to the lawyer, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In, in verse 25, Jesus tells us, or Luke tells us, that a lawyer came to Jesus. Uh, when, when I envision a lawyer, I, I picture an attorney or a, a law office. And when we think of an attorney, when we think of a lawyer, we think of someone who, who knows the ins and outs of civil law, of, of perhaps international law, and they can help navigate and, and, and guide through the things in this world that, that, that we need the law to help us in. This lawyer was not a, a lawyer who understood civil law. He, he was an expert in what we would call the law. The, the words that God gave to Moses are often called the law, referring specifically to Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. They, they are 
they're the story of God's people and the instructions that he gave. And that's what the word law, Torah, it means the instructions of God. And so this lawyer was an expert in the instructions of God. He, he knew them forward. He knew them backward. He knew all 613. Which of the ones were do this commands and which were the ones were do not do this commands. He, he knew how to proclaim them, how to apply them. He was an expert this tells us a couple of things. One, he, he, was, he was prestigious. He, he was commended. He was distinguished in the eyes of his people. And that leads to the second thing. We know that he was Jewish. To be an expert in the law, a Jewish expert in the law, this lawyer, he, he was a Jew. So here's a man who holds a place of prominence. A man who probably has had a little bit of his life threatened by this new rabbi who's on the scene, Jesus. And he wants to put Jesus to the test. Who is he? What does he stand for? And so he asks him a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now we know by this point in Jesus' ministry, as he's beginning to slowly make his way towards Jerusalem, that, that he's already talked about eternal life. When we talk about eternal life, that God provides. When the, the Jews talked about eternal life, it, it was both about quantity and quality. Quantity means when it comes to time, eternity is ongoing. It's, 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 it's as far as you can imagine and even beyond. There's, there's more of it and more of it and more of it. It is an extensive and expansive quantity. But eternal life for Jesus, the quantity isn't the defining characteristic. It's the quality it's that life where things are as God intends for them to be. It's, it's the best life that God intends for, for humans as they live in relationship with Him and relationship with one another. And so this lawyer says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit, to receive, to experience the very best of life? And Jesus shows what a great rabbi He is, right? He answers the question with a question. Try this sometimes. If you're going to answer a question with a question, a coherent question, by the way, it, it shows that you have an understanding of what you're talking about. And so the rabbi answers the student with a question. And now the student, the lawyer in this case, has to figure out if he understands. And it shouldn't surprise us, he's an expert in the law. He, he understands the law of Moses. He understands that there are two commands that really rise to the top. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And then he tags on another very important pillar. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Even Jesus says that all of the law, all of the instructions of God, all of the words of the prophets, that they hang on those two commands. Loving God with everything that we are and loving other people. As we see how much God loves us and he loves others through us. The two greatest commandments, Jesus calls them. To love God and to love others. This man knew his stuff. And so Jesus hears this response. The, the, the lawyer is right on. And so what does Jesus tell him? 
Jesus said to him, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Good job, buddy. Now do this and you will live. You've just answered your own question. You want to know what type of life leads to eternal life? It's this type of life, to love God with everything that you are. To be so transformed by his love that you love him and you love him by loving other people and obeying his commands. Do this and you'll live. You'll experience the quality and the quantity of eternal life. But here's where the story takes a shift. Verse 29. These words are so important. But he, that's the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Oftentimes we jump to that question, who is my neighbor? But but look at those first few words. It says, he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. What does it mean to justify himself? He wants to check the boxes. He he wants to feel better about himself. He he wants to know that that, that he's done enough, that that he's good enough, that that nothing more is required of him. He is justified. He's done it all. He's done what needs to be done. And so he asks, who's my neighbor? Why is he asking the question? Because he wants to make sure that he's loved his neighbors and he doesn't have to do any more than that. See, implied in the question of who is my neighbor is that there are some who aren't his neighbor. So he wants to be able to say, yep, I did that and I love that person, I love that person. See, I've done it. So it looks like I get to inherit eternal life. And Jesus can see right through. He finds the error. And he'll tell a story that will actually change the question. And here's the story. Familiar to many of you. And it's not familiar. I hope it inspires you and encourages you. My prayer is that it will transform you. Verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the man who was beaten and left for dead. And when he saw him, He had compassion. This is the central verse of the story. This is the important verse in the story. This man had compassion on the one who was suffering. It says he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The story is so simple. And yet even now, nearly 2,000 years since the story has been told the first time, we're able to picture it. Even though most of us have never been 
on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's the beauty and the power and the simplicity of Jesus' teaching. He's a masterful teacher, a masterful storyteller. And in this story, he keeps things just generic enough that about all of us can picture ourselves there even 2,000 years later. He begins the story in just a familiar way. A man, a man. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know, when a story begins, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, uh, oftentimes we picture that person in our likeness. It's likely that who the Jewish lawyer would have envisioned is another Jewish man, much like himself. Same build, same body type, same color of skin. The, the road was familiar. The, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, many of the priests, we have evidence, live in Jericho. It's a well-traveled road. It was a dangerous road. And Jerusalem sat 3,300 feet higher in elevation than Jericho. And so there's a 17-mile, probably closer to 16-mile journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Anytime you have an elevation change like that, it presents opportunities for hiding places in cliffs and rocky crags and a place for people who don't quite have someone's best interest at heart to hide. And so here's this man traveling this familiar road. And he is beaten, he is robbed, he is stripped, and he is left for dead. It's likely that this lawyer had heard other stories of people who had had the same thing happen on this road. Jesus uses something so familiar. And then the story takes its first turn. On this common road, Jesus says there is a priest. And that, that priest is walking down the road, probably having fulfilled his uh, duties in Jerusalem, returning to Jericho. And he sees the man who is left for dead. Let me put some pieces together for you. The lawyer, distinguished, prominent in, among Jewish people. Priests, distinguished and prominent among Jewish people. He, he's one that people would have expected to help the man in need. And yet, what does it say he does? He passes by on the other side. These are intentional words of avoidance. He avoids coming to the aid of the one in need. And then a Levite comes down, and this just kind of just keeps making Jesus' case for him. A Levite from the tribe of Levi, another distinguished and prominent person, not as prominent as the priests, but another prominent person in Jewish society. And he too, who should have known the law of God, who should have known the importance of helping his fellow man, he passes by on the other side. It's, it's an intentional word choice of how there was avoidance of helping the one in need. Now, there are lots of people who could get caught up in, well, maybe they were worried about ceremonial uncleanliness. Maybe they couldn't fulfill their duties. That's irrelevant. Jesus doesn't tell those details because the point of the story is that these religious leaders, these people who should have understood what God wanted from them, avoided helping the man in need. And so here's a Jewish lawyer hearing the story, a prominent, distinguished man among Jewish people. Another prominent, distinguished man among Jewish people, the priest. Another prominent Jewish... Distinguished Jewish man 
the Levite, they all avoid the one in need. And so Jesus introduces a third character, and here's how he is described. But a Samaritan. It's well documented um, in literature found that Jews and Samaritans had a rich mutual disdain for one another. They did not like each other. They had different reasons for it. The Jews had their beliefs about how the Samaritans had corrupted God's uh, people and how they had, had, had you know, intermarried with others. The Samaritans had, had their beliefs about the Jews and they didn't like each other. They mistreated each other. This, this hatred, this discord, this anger, it was, it was historical. It went back generations. When, when Jesus introduces a Samaritan after having mentioned the priest and the Levite, it is likely to a Jewish man like the lawyer, um, his skin crawled a little bit. Some bitterness welled up inside of him. Maybe he threw open his mouth just a little bit. A Samaritan? And it's a Samaritan that is moved with compassion. I told you, verse 33 is the heart of this story. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, came to where the man in need was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He was stirred. We often think about having compassion for someone or, or giving compassion or bestowing it on someone. But compassion really is when we choose to, to do something with another. Compassion means that we are stirred and we are willing to enter into the suffering, the agony, the pain of another person. This Samaritan sees a man in need. He is beaten, he is robbed, he is desperate, he is left for dead. And he says, I am going to enter into that pain with you. Even if it costs me much. Doesn't compassion always cost us? When we enter into the suffering, the pain, the agony of another, it will always cost us. To extend mercy to, to someone in a time of need, it, it always costs us. And, and this, this Samaritan, he risks so much. He sees the man in need. He, 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 he sees him. He's, he's moved. He chooses to enter into the suffering at great risk to himself. What if the bandits are still lying in wait? What if they're just waiting for an opportune time to rob someone else? He has to walk the rest of the journey because he puts the man on his animal. He uses his resources, his oil, his wine. He, 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 he changes the itinerary of his trip. He, he pays for 24 days worth of lodging for this man. He goes into a Jewish city as a Samaritan when most people would have been willing to venture in. That's, that's not their side of the tracks. He's willing to enter into the pain of another when they're in need at great personal risk to himself. It's an uncommon mercy, but compassion always requires uncommon mercy. So Jesus has told this story. The Jewish lawyer is probably just spinning, trying to process what just happened. And Jesus hits him with a question, verse 36. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these three? Is it the priest? Is it the Levite? Is it the Samaritan? And this Jewish lawyer can't even bring himself to say the words. The word Samaritan. Did you catch what Jesus did? It was subtle. Jesus changed the question. In verse 29, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Who should be the, the, the object of, uh, of my love? Like, like, who should I be loving? And Jesus changes it. He says, it's not about criteria. It's not about checking boxes. It's not about making sure you've loved the right people and ignored the wrong people. No, it's about how you live as a neighbor. It's about you. Jesus changes the question. It's not who do I need to love? Whose suffering do I need to enter into? It's how can you, when you see a need and you see people hurting, how can you choose to enter into their suffering even at great personal cost to yourself? That's the question. The Samaritan's response I mean, the, the, the Jewish lawyer's response. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus said, you know, you want to you enter eternal life? You want to do what's right? You, you want to live God's best? Then every time you see a need, every time you see people suffering, ask yourself, how can I serve? How can I be a neighbor? What can I do to help make a difference in this person's life? in these people's life. I cannot tell you we need this message so much. I need it. I need these words of Jesus. I need this simple truth to guide me in the midst of the complexity and the difficulty and the heartache and the heartbreak. And so do you. I want to go back to verse 29. It says that the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, asked this question, who is my neighbor? The lawyer, as we've already said, wants to make sure that he has done enough. That he's checked all the boxes, that there's nothing more required. He wants to justify himself. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if when we encounter crises, if when, when we see difficulties, when we see the pain of other people, when we see the suffering of a person or a people group, do we first seek to justify ourselves? Let's be even more pointed. When these events have been unfolding over the last two weeks or in, in other times when we've seen some of these things rise to the surface, is your first inclination to justify yourself? Can we just be honest for a moment? Do you find yourself playing the but I game? Can I just be vulnerable and honest and real knowing that there are people that I will never meet that will watch this? Following George Floyd's death as there were protests and calls from my black friends, my brown friends, my white friends, to do something and to examine my own life and to examine um, 
the historical context of all of this. I fought the desire to justify myself. Some of the questions that you may ask if you're seeking to justify is, but can I really do anything? Does my voice matter? Or, or but I have done this. Or, but, but I have this friend. If you found yourself seeking to see how you've checked the boxes, how this doesn't apply to you, or how it's a much bigger problem than you can solve, and so you can keep staying in your safe little place, then I think you, like me, have something in common with the lawyer. Are you desiring to justify yourself? To make yourself feel better, to, to find that you've checked all the boxes? But what would happen if when we see a need or a crisis, when we see the suffering of others, that we were moved not to say, do I need to step in, but how can I make a difference? How can I choose to step into that suffering, even if it costs me much? How can you be a neighbor right now in what's happening right now in our country? How can you be a neighbor to, to black men and black women and brown men and brown women? I, listen, I, I know what some of you are doing. You're saying, Craig, this, is, this parable is not just about what's happening in our country. No, I get that. This is about any time people are in crisis, any time people are in need. But the beauty of God's word is that it is, it is pointed when, when we're living in the circumstances right now. It applies right now. It's relevant right now. You and I have to face this. Are we being a neighbor? Not do I need to do something. Not do I need to say something. Not do I need to reflect. But, but what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Will you pray? Will you encourage Will you listen? Will you and I, will we explore the realities of society that was established with some ingrained injustices towards certain people and places? Could we even consider for a moment that even while progress has been made, there's still progress to be made. Can we be humble enough to believe that we don't have all the answers, we don't have it all figured out? And can we just stop justifying ourselves and can we say, God, show me. God, teach me. And at the very, the very base level, can we say, God, people are hurting. I'm not talking about identifying with a political ideology. I'm just saying, how can we say, how can I help those who are hurting? How can I be a neighbor? Even if it costs me much. Do you understand that real and transforming love is possible? Here, here's what I love about the lawyer's response. The lawyer doesn't respond, what do I do in inherit eternal life? I just go love other people. No, he responds with these words. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. It starts with our love for God, which 
actually begins with God's love for us. When we realize how much God loves us, what he has done for us, what he continues to do in us and through us, then we are compelled to love him back, to love him back by being obedient, to love him back by, by, by obeying his word, by living for truth, by trusting in his promises, by, by seeking his will and his desires in this world, by loving him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And says we respond to his love and love him in return that we are compelled to love other people. We cannot love other people for a sustained period of our lives. We will wear out if we don't get that love from him and we don't begin with him. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to make a difference, whether it's in our current crisis or beyond, to do it long term, it's going to start by by responding to the love that God has for you. And so I want to begin there. If you have not discovered the love that God has for you and you're intrigued and you're interested, I would reach out to another follower of Jesus that you know and ask them to tell you about how much God loves you and what it means to love him back. And if you don't have that person, then I want you to email connect at lebanonchristian.org and we will get someone connected with you, one of our pastors, another person, to help you work through this because God loves you and he wants you to love him in response to that. And that means that as we do that, we love other people. And that's how we can have a sustained influence. Listen, there aren't laws that will be written that can solve these issues. They can help. There aren't changes that can be made that will be more permanent and lasting than what God can do through his people. Well, we, we have told you that at Lebanon Christian Church, that, that our vision is to be an outpost of hope for people looking for clarity of life's purpose, health in their relationships, and freedom from sin by helping them trust and follow Jesus. We know that we have to be, each of us, not just the ministers, not just the church leaders, but all of us need to be making disciples of other people to teach them how God feels about other people and how to love him. And that's how we begin to change this world. Here's one final word. Something I never noticed before. Everyone in Jesus' story is traveling down the same road. The bandits the man who's beaten, robbed, and left naked or dead, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. They're all traveling down the same road. May we see that we are all travelers in this world. Our experiences on the road are different, for sure, but we are all travelers. But we choose to be merciful travelers. If I had a chance to name the parable, and there's probably really good reasons why I haven't, instead of the good Samaritan I, Samaritan, I would call it the merciful traveler. Will you be a merciful traveler? Will you see the needs of other people and be moved to enter into their pain and their agony and at great risk show an uncommon mercy? My prayer is that you will. Because as we do, not only is the world changed, but those who can't breathe a breathless world, begin to breathe new air. May these truths be a light that guides you in the darkest of night so that all of us 
Him breathe the eternal, fulfilling, abundant breath of God. Let me pray. God, I thank you. You understand the complexities of what's happening in our world. May we trust you. May we respond to your love and may we love you with all that we are. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And God, may we choose to love our neighbor. God, may we choose to be that neighbor. Give us the courage and the boldness. Give us the understanding. May your church rise up. And may we shine and draw others to your light. And so in your name we pray and trust. The name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace.